Thank you for listening to the Pentecostals of Bossier City Sermon Podcast. For more information, including our live webcast schedules, please visit www.pobc.cc. Is there anybody here that's not afraid to plead the blood of Jesus? It doesn't matter what your battle is. It doesn't matter how big your enemy seems to be in that moment. We have a God that is greater. We have a God that is more powerful. We have a God that in one blink of an eye can answer any question. Any fight is over in a heartbeat. Somebody give God one more hand clap of praise. Raise your head. Raise your voice. God, we give you the glory tonight. Jesus. Jesus' name, Father. Those of you at the front, you can return to your seat. I am going to proceed immediately into the scripture. However, so if you could remain standing with me, we're going to go into the word of God. I told Pastor Dean after service this morning, I said, Dad, I knew when you read your sermon title this morning that I was going to have a hard time Sunday night. Because we've joked many times and said, if somebody preaches well Sunday morning, Sunday night is, you can kind of expect it to be more difficult. Pastor Dean, that was something else this morning. If you were here and you had God do something in your life and impact you in some way, you need to give God a little glory for that here tonight. I should have started unscrewing that bottle when you first started your hand clap. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Brother Brett. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. This is a familiar passage with many, but we're going to go somewhere here in a moment. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's quite a list that they rattle off so quickly there. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. I've always loved this passage as long as I've ever heard it throughout my life. I've always loved this passage because of verse 11 at the end. Such were some of you. And he doesn't use it just once, but he uses it three times. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But You were justified. He had to emphasize it time and time again. Yes, that is your story. However, there is always an answer in the name of Jesus Christ. This was you then, but this, because of the but, this is you right now. If you've been saved, reconciled by the blood of the Lamb, would you give him one more hand clap of praise before you're seated here tonight? Thank you. You may be seated. 
I bragged Wednesday night to the adult one class because every once in a while I feel like it's important to reiterate this. We were talking about how many good families that we had in this church, how many good people that we have in this church. Because anytime you can get discouraged about something in life, all you have to do is look to your right, your left, behind you, in front of you, and you will find somebody that reminds you that, yes, God is still working today. God is kind of, he, he's solidifying his church on the backs of these people that have the, they become the pillars of the church. And what I want you to do is I want you to take a look around you right now. If you're sitting on the front rows, you might have to turn all the way around. For some of you, that might mean twisting your neck in a way that is uncomfortable. Well, I want you to smile at the people around you. You might not even know them yet, but I want you to smile at them for a moment. Do you see those spotless, smiling people around you? Do you see those completely unblemished creatures that are just filling your heart with love and pride at this very moment? Such were some of them. Such were some of them. But we were washed. But we were sanctified. But we were justified. Many of you might not even know the full stories of the people that sit around you right now. You don't know where they came from. You don't know their testimony. For some of them, ever since you entered into this church, they have been present. And all that you've known is what is sitting around you right now. However, there are stories out there from every walk of life, from every background, from every opportunity that reminds us once again, such were some of us. But there was a but. We were washed, sanctified, and justified. This place is filled with testimonies, testimonies that we cannot afford to remain silent about. Testimonies that every once in a while they should creep back into our mind in the middle of a worship service. And we declare that this means war. We declared war a long time ago. And every once in a while the enemy tries to come back in and ambush us in a way that he thinks is going to work. But there is a God. There is a power. There is a Holy Ghost that is just as real today as it has ever been with somebody. For your testimony, give God another hand clap of praise and let him know from the bottom of your heart that there is still some gratitude that's left in the tank. There's still a testimony that is worth telling. There's still a story that this world needs to hear. Give him another hand clap if you would. Father, thank you. You might be wondering, I it's probably not fair to keep it up there without any explanation. You might be wondering about the Japanese text that is on the screen right now. You might be wondering what that means. And yes, I'm positive it's Japanese. I checked four different times to make sure that I wasn't putting up some other kind of language. But there's a story behind that text. And no, it does not, it does not translate to the untouchables. But we'll get there in a moment. There's a story behind this text. I've always considered Japan kind of like a bucket list place that I'd like to go before the end of my life. It's a place that I would like to visit. Right now, Christianity makes up about 2.6% of the Japanese people. But we have missionaries that are there. We have the truth of the Word of God that is being preached to those people. And I hope to see a great revival break out in Japan one day. I hope to see videos come back of healings, of people being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost in a land that is absolutely packed shoulder to shoulder. 
I hope to visit this place, this land of 126 million people. Of those 126 million people, there are about 3 million that fit inside a very particular social group. 3 million people whose name means Hamlet people. It means people of the Hamlet. That's actually what that text on the screen means right there. It's the Hamlet people. It's a group of people that history has tried to erase over time. A group of people that have a unique story because even though they've been persecuted for a very long time, there hasn't been a lot that has escaped out of the country to tell their story. They do not look different than anybody else in Japan. They look identical to everybody else in Japan. They don't speak a different dialect in Japan. They speak the exact same form of the language. They don't sound any different. As a matter of fact, they work in the same cities as everyone else. You would not notice them if they were just out in the crowd. But they're different. There's up to three million of them. They can't even be completely sure because their identity is still somewhat kept private and held in secret. They don't look different. They don't speak differently. But they are certainly treated differently and have been for many hundreds of years. I'm going to butcher this name, but that's okay because I'm just some guy from Louisiana. I don't know any Japanese. But they are known as the Burakumen. The Burakumen means the Hamlet people. They were the ones who lived outside of the cities, away from the castles, away from the temples that developed in the time of the samurai. They were considered the poor, the uncultured, the outcast of society. There was a mark that was on them for the rest of their lives. They were born into the world, and if they were born the son or the daughter of a Borakuman, that meant that they were for the rest of their lives. They carried a mark literally because they were forced to identify themselves when they went out in public. They were the ones who lived in the hamlets, the ones who were cast outside the city walls, the ones who had to be forced away from the common people, from the decent people that surrounded them. They weren't allowed to be a part of that group. In America's great sin that we carried for several hundred years, we determined at some point at the institution of our country that a slave was to be legally considered three-fourths of a human being. It's kind of unfathomable to think about that now today in 2019, but it wasn't all that long ago that we considered a human to be just three-fifths of a person. This is obviously terrible. I'm not... I'm not belittling it in any sort of way, but the Japanese considered the Burakuman to be something even less. They were considered by the law to be one-seventh of a human being. They were just 14% human, according to the rest of the population. People created stories, and they believed them, and they taught these things to their children, that their skeletons were actually made out of dog bones instead of human bones, because surely their skeletons couldn't resemble that of the Burakuman. They were not allowed to leave their communities after sunset. They were banned from wearing shoes in public. If they had to speak to one of the decent people for some crazy reason, they were only allowed to do so if they bowed to the ground on their hands and their knees before addressing them verbally. Certain haircuts were actually forbidden to the Burakumen. And if they decided to sport it and they went out in public, if a samurai was to actually encounter this person, they were legally obligated to kill them on the spot for this horrible, horrible, horrible sin of having a haircut. But why were they looked down upon? Why were they cast aside? Why did their story lead us to even the present day where they still stand apart from the rest of Japanese society? 
In the two primary religions of Japan, the Shinto and Buddhism, in both of these religions, it is, it's said that if anybody has contact with the dead, they become impure. If they are, as they say, touched by death, they become impure. Sewage workers, executioners, butchers, tanners, grave diggers, anybody that came into contact with the unclean, they were considered immediately for the rest of eternity to be a burakuman. They were something less, something that was just one-seventh of a human being, something set apart in the worst way possible. They were referred to as the defiled ones, the untouchables, the unclean. Even today, the, one of the most expensive proteins that you can buy anywhere is the Wagyu beef. It sells for about $110 per pound. Some of the most expensive beef that you could buy. Look at the marble on that steak. If I saw that in, in Kroger on that back wall, I would jump on it so fast and wonder who in the world made such a horrible mistake. And I would try to cook that immediately. Look at the marble on that steak. There's men that are standing beside that picture. Those are Burakumen. They are the ones that are touched by death. And even today, in 2019, these men were interviewed and they said, we don't allow people to know what we do for a living. Because if they ever find out, if we're at a party and someone says, well, what do you do? We find a way around the question. Because if they ever find out that we're a Burakumen, they'll shun our children. They'll call them out. They'll tell their children at their schools. And my kids will forever have a stamp upon their heads. And they will be treated like scum. Even today, this is a problem. Today, it's illegal to discriminate against them while hiring, but there's a little secret that has been kept for a long time. But this list was exposed just a few years ago, circulating between companies, between corporations. It was a secret list of all of the known Burakumen who exist today. They identified them by their names, by their family names. They identified them by the neighborhoods in which they lived. They identified them and put them on the list. And this list is considered a do not hire list. It doesn't matter their qualifications. It doesn't matter their work history. All that matters is they carry that stamp upon their head of Burakumen, the untouchable, the unclean, the different. For whatever reason, when I read this story, and I, I just came across it this past week, when I read this story, as is kind of the case with people that are in ministry, you immediately find some correlation somewhere in the Word of God. And the place that I wound up was in Leviticus, whenever the law stated what you must do for someone who is considered unclean. In Leviticus 13 and 45, it begins, As for the leper who has the infection. His clothes shall be torn, and the hair of his head shall be uncovered. And he shall cover his mustache and cry. The King James says upper lip, but almost every other translation says mustache. I don't, I don't know why that's particularly important, but I found it fascinating. It says he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone in his dwelling, shall be outside the camp. As soon as somebody was diagnosed with the infection known as leprosy, as soon as that mark was placed upon them, they were torn from their families and they were placed outside of the city. And any time they came and encountered somebody who was not infected, they had to cover themselves and scream out so that they knew that they were coming. I am unclean. 
I'm filthy. Something is wrong with me. Something's broken within me. Please stay far, far away. Leprosy is an infection that it can be actually in the body for 5 to 20 years before even the first symptom manifests itself. But once it does, it's sequential and it, it always has some sort of a horrible impact upon the body. It destroys the eyes. It destroys the skin, the lungs, the nerves. But besides the pain, the disability, the physical manifestations that all make themselves known, perhaps the worst thing about it is to be separated from what might could have been. What might have happened, what might have been my future. To be separate. If only I was clean. If only I wasn't one of the untouchables. One of the ones that has to separate. And to live outside of the city away from every family member that I have ever known. And watch my kids grow up from afar and look into the distance and see. As they grow older and their lives take place so far away. I just see them in the distance growing just slowly. Older, taller, different. And I can only shout at them from a distance. Because I'm unclean. I'm separate. I'm untouchable. To be a leper meant continual decay of their body, of their mind, of their life. And to live in sin is quite the same. The hurt, the deterioration, and eventually becoming numb to the erosion of the soul that takes place within us. The symptoms might not manifest at first, but one day, one day, at some point, we realize that something had to change within us. Something had to be cleansed from within us. But how could we ever accomplish it? We looked for answers in so many different places. People who sit in these pews that look like they have it all together here tonight, at some point, they looked outside. They looked in the companionship of people that were, if you could only describe them biblically in one way, it might be wicked. People that their lives were out of sync with the word of God, giving in always to the appeals of their flesh. People who led them astray. Some people looked for answers in the bottle. Some people looked for answers in the needle. Some people looked for answers in the pill. Somebody looked for answers. So many different places where the enemy just says this is the way. If you want to feel like things are getting a little bit better, just come a little further this way. And there's this deterioration of the soul, the untouchables, the unclean. Even without the background of the word of God, we begin to recognize there's something within me that is eating away at the very core of my soul. I'm unclean. I'm broken. What can I possibly do? And some, some of us even walked into this building. Or maybe a church that's very similar to it. And we walked and sat down in a pew, maybe a lot like the one you're sitting in right now. And we sat down and we looked at these people that raised their hands. Their expressions were different. Their demeanor was different. They didn't seem to have the shame, the guilt that we carried within us for some reason. And we couldn't quite put our finger on it but something was different something was clean and it made us all too aware how unclean we were such were some of us but there was a washing a cleansing the flowing of the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ we were sanctified and we were justified 
all too aware of where our lives had led us. Hearing a sermon maybe like this morning. Hearing worship and seeing people lift their hands and sing to God with abandon. Knowing all too well the states of our hearts. And something within us wanting to say, I'm unclean. I'm the untouchable. I'm the broken. I'm the sick. I am the infected. And even tonight, there might be someone who sits in these pews. I don't know everyone's story. I know that Sunday morning is often the the service that we have the most guests. But I would even say, I'd venture a guess that there is someone who comes on the regular. You visit this church. You sit on these pews. You even consider yourself a member. But there is still something crying out from the, the center of our soul. And it's saying, you're still unclean. You're still dirty. You're still broke. And you are still defiled in some way. And the rest of these people, they shouldn't get too close to you because there's still something broken with inside. But if you only knew, we could have had probably every brand of sin represented in these pews tonight. You are surrounded by former untouchables. But we were washed but we were sanctified, but we were justified. Would somebody take themselves back even for a moment tonight? Revisit that time when you walked in with the knowledge that something was unclean at the center of ourselves, but the blood of Jesus washed us. Maybe we're a little bit too comfortable with that. Maybe we've gotten over it. Maybe it's not a big deal anymore. But I have to tell you, there's somebody with a testimony that can proclaim here tonight. I've been washed. I have been sanctified. I have been justified. Clap your hands and give praise to God. Somebody love God for a moment and let him know that you will not forget the time when he washed you. Purer than snow. The blood of Jesus is what makes the untouchable. Once again, be able to walk and have fellowship with those who they once thought lived in a kind of a different existence, a different place, a place that they could not reach, a place that they could not ever attain, a place that they just didn't understand at all. There are people sitting here even tonight, and you wonder, do I really belong here? I'm telling you right now, not one of us belong in these seats, but there's something about our God, something about our Savior, something about the sacrifice that He made on a hill called Calvary that washes, it sanctifies, it justifies. I struggle sometimes. Because it seems like a long time ago. It seems like a long time ago that every bit of the brokenness, the hurt, the resentment, the guilt, the shame that had built up over years, all of it just sort of dissipated in the thin air. It seems like a long time ago now. I told you before service started, or before my sermon started, I should say. We had the conversation. You're going to have to forgive me. I don't, I don't want to sound harsh. 
I do want to sound a little harsh. We have the conversation if Sunday morning is really good. Sunday night's going to be more difficult. We have the conversation if pastor happens to be traveling out of town that Sunday. We think, well, it might be a little harder to get worship off the ground because of people see. And I don't think that's as true as it used to be anymore. There's been something happening underneath the surface of the Pentecostals. Is conversations that we have. What can we do differently? What can we adjust? What can we tweak? But the truth of the matter is, no system, no song, no sermon can get in the way of somebody who truly returns to the gratitude of that day when every burden, every sin, every bit of guilt and shame rolled away in the instant that the blood of Jesus found its way from the top of your head to the sole of your feet, cleansing every stain that had ever been gathered upon your soul. Somebody that returns to that day can say it once again, God, I've got to give you thanks. Somebody needs to give God thanks for a moment. I pray that you would lift up your hands and say, Father, I want to give you my heart. Take me back to that day, Father. Take me back to that time. When everything, the muck and the mire that had been built up with inside of me faded away in a moment. If you've got some of it that you carried in here tonight, it can be gone in an instant. They asked when they were presented with the gospel, men and brethren, what should we do? Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus and be filled with the Holy Ghost as the Spirit gives the utterance. It is the word of God that is just as true. 2,000 years after it was spoken on that day. My grandfather once told my dad, and I'm sorry this is going to be slightly gross, it just popped into my mind, and I'm either going to accept that it was the will of God or it was my ADD. But he said, son, we never even had deodorant in your days. That was like a foreign concept to us. We didn't understand that. And then my dad remembered, well, wasn't he saved like a tent revival or something? Wasn't he saved outdoors? Didn't this all happen outside? And he's thinking of East Texas and the heat that's very similar to our own, obviously. He said, dad, did, did did everybody just stink all the time? Because that would be my question as well. People say, oh, we didn't even have a bar of soap. You might have had some lye soap, maybe if you were lucky. All right. Did everybody stink? And he said, son, he said he thought for a second. And he said, you know, I guess if everybody around you stinks, you don't even notice it. If you all stink together, you're not even aware of it. But you take somebody from 2019 and put them in a time machine and go back to that place and they're going to be keenly aware of it. I don't want to forget a time when there was something emanating from me and God washed it away in a moment and me look back in all my cleanliness in all of my filthy rags that I present is righteousness and forget that time when the will of God had its perfect way in a life that desperately needed to be cleaned would somebody once again give God some thanks 
However you have to do it, please just don't leave it on the table. However you have to do it, give him thanks with your heart, with your voice, with your hand clap, with your shout, with your gratitude. However you do it, let him know you will never forget that day. That day when the untouchable became clean in the sight of God. Maybe, maybe there's too many clean ones among us. We need some people that are dirty to walk through these doors. And when they walk in, they don't just concentrate on how dirty they are. All they see is a fountain emanating from that altar of a blood that runs crimson red and is able to wash their soul in just one moment of raising their hands and saying, God, I'm giving you everything. Take it. Ephesians 2 and 1 says this, it begins, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin. You were dead. You were touched by death, tainted by death, in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We were once tainted by death, but no longer saved, washed, sanctified, justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. So here's my question. If the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you were an addict, say so. If you were an addict, stand to your feet and say, he washed me. He cleansed me. If you were broken in your spirit, he cleansed me, sanctified, justified, cleansed from the inner workings of my soul. If you were abusive and you look back and you know it, would you stand and say, he washed me? If you were angry, if you had some problem with your emotions and you started to destroy the people around you, stand up and say, I'm washed. If you were sexually immoral, would you stand and say, it was me, but he washed me? Oh, hold on. Why is that different? See, I, I know there are people that are hesitant to say, I was abusive. I was bitter. I was angry. I was depressed. I was hurt. I was broken. All these things. I was an addict. I was an alcoholic. I was a drug addict. Whatever it might be. I'll tell you something. The beautiful thing about the house of God is that the shame is gone along with the sin. The guilt is gone along with the past. There's nothing remaining. It doesn't matter what your flavor of sin was. If you remember when God washed you, would you stand to your feet and say, He washed me. He sanctified me. He justified me by his blood. If you'd come down to the front, we're going to spend a moment deliberately rejoicing in the salvation of the cross. Rejoicing in that moment when God saved us, made us clean, made us whiter than snow.
There is therefore no condemnation. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. But the people of God reach back into that past all too often and pick that weight back up and they put it upon their shoulder and they say, this is mine. It doesn't belong to us anymore. Every single person here represents a different level on the scale of where we are here tonight. I said it before. I said it before. There are people that still feel unclean. You walked in. It might be your first service here with us. You walked in and you feel unclean in your spirit. And you say, there's this part of me. It's just purely untouchable. Something in me. Broken. Irreparably. But the blood of Jesus does not know the boundaries of the human mind and the human spirit. The blood of Jesus reaches over every single wall that we have built up, sometimes with the help of the enemy. And he washes us whiter than snow. So what we're going to do, we are going to wage war just for a few moments here tonight. We are waging war with our flesh. Waging war. With this feeling that we have to get a little bit comfortable in the cleanliness of our souls. We come in looking nice, smelling nice, feeling nice. But I don't want to forget the day when it wasn't so nice. When the blood of Jesus changed everything. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to raise our hands. All across this building, raise your hands. Close your eyes. No looking around. Wherever you are in the state of your mind and your spirit, I pray that we would enter this place with a little bit of gratitude, a little bit of thanks, a little bit of a moment where we just say, God, I've got to push everything aside right now. And I have to let you know that I remember what you did for me. If you need it tonight, say, God, I want you to do this for me right now. If you need to toss something aside and turn away, repent in the name of Jesus. If you need to be baptized in his name, we can do it tonight. The water is already ready. If you need to be filled with the spirit of God, you can raise your hands right now and you can let it happen here tonight. But every person here, wherever you fall on that scale, would you begin to lift your voice? Begin to lift your voice. Put aside every distraction. Father, God, I want to return back to that day where every burden rolled away. Every problem was gone. My goodness, people. Do you remember what he did? Do you remember when the blood was applied? Do you remember when your addiction ceased? Do you remember when the rage went away? Do you remember when your sexual sin that was in your past was gone for good and you also were made clean and whiter than snow? Do you remember? Because if I'm perfectly honest, our praise does not yet reflect it, but it will here in a moment. Again, would you return and say, Father, I'm going to be like that 10th leper that went back and said, I have to thank you. I'll present myself clean in a moment. For right now, I have to bow before my Savior and give Him the praise that He desires and deserves. Now lift up your voice, church. Lift up your voice out of gratitude and thanks to our God.
begin to wage war with your worship here before we leave tonight. Don't exit this place without waging a little bit of war against your enemy. Without rejoicing in the work of the blood of Jesus in your life. Let's worship together, church.